Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Think you know fantasy basketball? You can win money with FanDuel tonight and all through the NBA playoffs. Draft your fantasy basketball team for tonight's playoff action. It's quick and easy, and you could win huge cash prizes. Sign up for FanDuel now using promo code LINEUPS and get a $5 bonus with your first deposit. Just visit FanDuel.com or download the FanDuel app. Then, draft your NBA playoff team and play for cash. Again, make sure to use the promo code LINEUPS when signing up. Do it now so you can win on the games tonight. Listen to Spurs Cast, episode 541. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me in studio for this episode is Project Spurs' Colin Reed. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Um, you know, you and I had just you were, the last time you were here here, um, you know, recording with me in person. We had just started breaking down Spurs Nuggets, um, kind of the preview for that for that for that series that began, and. Uh, you and I both picked, I think, what did you pick? You picked Spurs and, I mean, uh, Nuggets and Seven, right? I picked Nuggets and Six. Yeah. Oh, you picked Nuggets and Six? Yeah. Oh, so you're actually closer to getting this going. <laughs> so you actually picked Nuggets and Six. Okay, okay. And I picked uh, Nuggets and Seven. So obviously you and I, you know, the reason why we weren't picking San Antonio in the series was because we didn't trust their defense, especially on the road. Uh, we knew it was, it was a very flawed team, um, even though at times they've looked pretty good on defense. Um, and then also their offense in terms of just, just that style doesn't really fit today's NBA. And we're kind of seeing a lot of these things play out now that the series is getting closer to ending. Um, the Spurs do still have a chance to win it in seven, uh, but they have to win game six first on Thursday. So, Colin, let's begin first by um, breaking down game five that took place on Tuesday evening. Uh, this one wasn't close at all, really. So the Spurs uh, get beat in Denver, one hundred eight to ninety. Uh, let's go through a quick little recap. Um, you know, in the first quarter, Denver. It, you know, usually Denver started slow in the series, but in this time, they actually played well. They had a they built like a seven eight point lead against both the Spurs' starters and their bench. So no San Antonio unit could kind of have a grasp on Denver. Then in the second quarter, surprisingly, the bench actually played pretty well. Uh, they kept the game within like three to five points from, from midway through the second quarter. But then, surprisingly, the starters returned, and then they just, you know, Denver just went up to by, uh, I think, they fell behind. Yeah, San Antonio 
just fell behind by like 15 points. And then, of course, uh, halftime came. In the third quarter, the game was pretty much over. I mean, Denver went up by 28 at one point. Both units weren't very good for San Antonio. The fourth quarter was um, by the six-minute mark. Coach Pop had already put out most of the starters. Denver led by 30 at one time. I mean, and the game was really just over by, you know, that, that, that mark in the second quarter where the Spurs fell behind by 15. I mean, that was really it. Um, so just real quick, Colin, before we break this thing down, um, you know, in detail, what were your initial reactions to this game? Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of like game four in some ways, I -hmm. think, uh, where, uh, especially that second half of game four, where it just feels like the Nuggets have kind of figured out what they're trying to do, what they want to do, and they're, they're just getting to where they want to go now. Um, and offensively and defensively, they're just figuring out. Uh, how they want to play the Spurs, and, and it's working out for them. I think, you know, one of my biggest takeaways, and maybe this is something we'll talk about later, of the whole series is I think uh, DeMar DeRozan has this reputation of like a playoff choker, and it's going to be really unfortunate if we walk away from here and, and fans are like, why couldn't DeMar and Aldridge do more? <laughs> like, DeMar has easily been the best Spur in the series. I think if it weren't for him, these games would look a lot worse. I think, you know, they're putting good defenders on DeMar, but I do think that part of it is that they're saying... Like, hey, we'll let DeMar and Aldridge do what they do, and we'll just keep the bench and the other guys from contributing, and it's yeah. really just constricting what they're trying to do. And, and, oh, go again. Yeah, no, I think it's it's part of kind of how the team's constructed, and obviously they're kind of thrown into this. You know, they got DeRozan late in the free agency, but you would hope that maybe if they could have uh, three shooters around Aldridge and DeRozan the whole time this this might be a little different, even though part of their scheme is running the shooter. So many people have talked about how well the Nuggets are running three-point shooters off the line, but but it's, it's definitely not his fault for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And that's kind of what, what, what we've seen is that when you and I broke this down, you know, just weeks ago, um, you know, we talked about the Spurs having, they needed that big four, which was DeMar Aldridge, Rudy Gay, and uh, Derek White. And two and two of those guys have been showing up each night, you know, despite how, how tough some of these matchups are for them, which are DeMar and Rudy on, I mean, and, and LaMarcus on the offensive end, like you just mentioned. But it's really been Derek and Rudy that have been missing from this in terms of being those guys who can kind of create uh, for the Spurs. So before we go into the, those specific um, players, let's go ahead and break down this game a little bit in detail. Um, so, you know, we had to be a little a little vague in terms of looking at these stats just because we do know that it was a blowout. So, you know, I don't want to put too, too much into these numbers. I'm just going to go through the numbers that really stick out to me. Um, first, frequency from mid-range. Uh, the Nuggets typically take 32% of their shots from mid-range. They, could, they, they, they got that down to just 28% of their shots from mid-range. They made... 57% of their mid-range shots. So this this stat tells me that the Spurs didn't get their wish in terms of forcing Denver to take a lot of mid-range looks. It tells me that Denver played well against the Spurs' defense, got to, to their more specific spots either at the at the um, rim or from the three-point line. Also in the half court, Denver um, you know, scored 113.7 points per 100 possessions, and typically they only scored 95. So that was almost 20-plus 20, 20 point um, jump right there. So it tells me, again, that they really, really picked apart San Antonio's defense in the half court. Um, some other areas to stand out to me. Uh, this has kind of been the thing I've been talking about for a few games now. Uh, frequency from three. The Nuggets got 37% of their shots from three-point line. Typically, they only got 32%. They shot 46% from three. Um, they, 19 of their 33 threes were wide open, according to the NBA's data. So that's that's 58% of their threes. More than half were left wide open by the Spurs' defense. And Denver shot six of nineteen from three on those, which is thirty-two percent. So again, that's eighteen points coming from the, from the wide open range. Um, they got out in the open court a little bit more. They got seventeen fast break points against the Spurs, who typically allow fourteen. 
Um, and like I mentioned, I mean, just the three-point shooting is really what's coming down to here from what I see. Uh, several players from Denver were, were shooting, um, made more than two, two or more threes. Murray, four of nine from three. Gary Harris, three of five from three. Millsap, two of four from three. Jokic, two of four from three. Beasley, two of three from three. Uh, the, the Denver Nuggets starters outscored the Spurs starters from the three-point line 33 to nine. That's that's the, the, the jump right there. And then also just in the series now, Denver has a plus 17.4 points per game advantage just from looking at the Spurs has made threes and the Nuggets made threes. So kind of those those kind of areas that I talked about, what, what did you think? About yeah, Spurs defense? and I think that's kind of been how it's been in the games that the Spurs have lost is that the Nuggets have really beaten them on the three-point line. And, you know, the Spurs... Uh, always take the least amount of threes, but for this series, that's definitely down. Another thing that's been well documented, yeah. and their makes are way down from where they normally are, and that's that's kind of been problematic because it, it just it does kind of short things. You know, uh, Derek White, obviously his game three was amazing. That that's been well documented as well. People are going to talk about that forever. Um, but I think if you are at the point where, uh, and this is not a knock on on. Him, but if, if you're needing Derek White to consistently put out 36 point games, then yeah. you're you're kind of expecting this thing that that is maybe not going to happen every game just to win. And it's and not it, consistent; it never right. was. Right? Yeah. And so, and so uh, Derek does so many other things besides score that, yeah. that it, you can't expect him to like. That's not the standard you should hold him to. But if if it's like they need Derek White to score 36 points to win a game, you know you're in trouble already because. You're hoping for like these outliers, like I mean, at this point, we should be hoping for Davies to score thirty. You know, what I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I think at their base level, if the Nuggets are playing at their base level, it's just hard to beat them. And at this point, I think for the Spurs, they have to hope that someone important is off for them to win games. Exactly, that's what actually I was looking at too. Is they they just have to have a bad shooting night again, but that's very hard because the only bad shooting night you got against Denver was Game One. That's when they really just, just really struggled to make their shots. So I want to talk a little bit still about this three point defense from the Spurs. I mean, this was a game too. This the, what, what, what was more concerning and alarming to me in Game Five was the fact that it wasn't just you know leaving wide open shooters because you were just doubling on Jokic. Sure, there was a lot, a few of those plays where, where they doubled too much on Jokic and, and he you know they moved the ball around and picked him apart. But it was also just the dribble penetration. Honestly, it was pick and roll, whether it was just Jamal Murray getting um, by his man, Derek White specifically, a few times. And it was just a lot of chaos created. Uh, some threes were, came off of offensive rebounds from Denver. So that's what's more concerning to me if you're San Antonio is the fact that it wasn't just like these like these ways that Denver picked you apart from from like let's just say the Jokic post up or, or those dribble handoffs. This is like penetration, and these are those things that were really really um, making the Spurs' defense look bad when they were at their worst this season. Yeah, and and that was one of those things. I think uh, it was one of the things they pointed out last night on the Fox Sports Southwest telecast was uh, I can't remember if it was in the first half or the second half. Now it might have been when they brought uh, White back in after his foul trouble in the beginning of the mm. second half, where he got beat back door on two yeah. consecutive plays, and Pop just pulled him again. And and it's just one of those things where. Obviously, he, he's been maybe even more known for his defense than his offense, and it's just kind of what this team is doing to the Spurs, where they have so many weapons from so many different places that it, it's just making it hard for even the Spurs' best defensive players to keep track of everything they need to. Yeah, let's go through some of the specific Denver players. Uh, I, I usually like to determine this through their usage, you know, their, their, in terms of their production that they're reliable for. So Jokic has a, a good game again, 16 points, 46% shooting, two offensive rebounds, eight assists, three turnovers. Um, according to the NBA's matchup data, all 16 of those points came against Jakob Pertl guarding him. Plus, he had four assists against Pertl. Um, 
Jamal Murray, 23 points, 56% shooting, um, seven assists, two turnovers. 13 of those 23 points came against Derek White, and five of those points came against Patty Mills along with three assists. So, so Murray basically got 18 against the two guys that guard him the most. So he, he, you know, they've really had trouble checking him these last two games. Um, Looking at Paul Millsap, 14 points, 40% shooting, uh, one assist, one turnover. 12 of Millsap's points came against Aldridge. Uh, was he, he was the primary defender. Gary Harris, 15 points, 63% shooting. Seven of those came against Bryn Forbes. And now the guy who's become a weapon, I was just talking to you about this, is Will Barton now off the bench. Coach Malone needs a lot of credit for this move. When, when he put Torrey Craig as a starter in Game 4, uh, it really boosted um, you know, Will Barton's production coming off the bench now. Now all of a sudden, Barton finishes with 17 points in this game. 64% shooting from the floor. Three assists. Um, he scored 11 um, combined versus Marco Bellinelli and DeMar DeRozan, who obviously aren't, aren't two standout defensive players. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, um, Malik Beasley had 11 points, and, and Monty Morris had a good game with 10 points. So so, so what, did, what did you think about some of these specific player, Denver players and also the fact that now the Nuggets have another weapon offensively in Will Barton, who's, who's averaging 14.5 points since he became a reserve? Yeah, and... Uh... You know, that's actually something that Adam Morris and Matt Moore were talking about on, on Lockdown Nuggets, was the other thing that that switch to the bench did was with Torrey Craig in the starting lineup, he can guard DeRozan and Gary Harris can guard Derek White, and that's really changed this series too. Uh, but, but yeah, I think um, uh, Barton is probably one of those players who is like a, a confidence and a rhythm player, and I think that sometimes he sees benching, at, and I mean... <laughs> He, he even spoke to as much. He sees it as like a challenge. He yeah. sees it as like, I disagree with this move, so I'm going to go out and prove you wrong. And I think maybe when you're in this kind of situation, that kind of attitude uh, for players who kind of feed off that is better than maybe like, oh, I'm missing shots now. This is kind of happening. And so I think, you know, while it, it may have upset him, I think it put him in the mindset he needed to be in to succeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, Again, just another weapon. And, and somehow he's coming off the bench, and the bench isn't what's hurting the Spurs now. So he's playing really well off the bench. Yeah. But the Spurs aren't losing these games. In the bench minutes, like they were before, mm. uh, now it's the starter minutes. So even though he is going off, uh, the bench is at least kind of keeping it close yeah. when they're in there. It, it's that, that starting unit now just has answers for what the Spurs try to do. For sure. Uh, let's go, let's go ahead and flip over to the to the offensive end for the Spurs, and this is kind of where they had a lot more of their struggles, and this is the reason why Denver was able to, to kind of bring up, bring up that lead. Let's first start off with the, uh, the the frequency at the rim. That was pretty good. Thirty one percent of their shots came from the from the rim. However, the thing that a lot of people were talking about the first half specifically was the Spurs is shooting at the rim. In this game, the Spurs only shot shot forty two percent accuracy at the rim. Typically, they shoot sixty six percent. I mean, I, I was putting all sorts of um, you know shot charts up throughout the game, and it was a lot of red, just a lot of bad. Um, I mean, they were missing little bunnies, you know, just little hook shots that they typically make. Um, they didn't get to the free throw line, which is something that they do not not great, but they're okay at doing. The Spurs, uh, you know, during the season they make nineteen free throws per one hundred field goal attempts with a free throw rate of nineteen. This was down to ten. The only guy who shot you know more more than two free throws was DeRozan, going five of five. Uh, they got their normal frequency shots. They made they shot pretty well from free, from mid range, forty nine percent. But again, the math weighs out when you're just shooting mid range and the other team shooting threes. Uh, here's here's the concerning part. Still, they only shot twenty two percent of their shots came from three, which is the most in the series. I think they got twenty four attempts. Um, that that's down by five percent compared to their normal frequency, and the accuracy is still down. T- the Spurs were the the most accurate team this year, forty percent from three, and they shot just twenty eight percent last night. Uh, yeah, and so. Um, Kind of what, what did you think about their offense just before I go into the specific players? Yeah, I, I think the, the threes are really what are kind of the most startling because I think, you know, you have 
uh, in Game 3, what was still effective was um, DeRozan and White attacking the rim the way they did. And it obviously just makes it so much easier when you have uh, players hitting from outside. And when that's not happening, it's easier to kind of load up inside. And it, it's just... You know, I, I would have to maybe kind of rewatch and keep a close eye on it to see how much of it is just missing shots that are in rhythm. I know the Nuggets really have been trying to yeah, key off on their shooters. Before before last night, they uh, they had said from games one through four, you know, our our job right now when, when we're guarding Bellinelli, Patty Mills, and Bertens is do not let them shoot. Kind of right. stay high on them, stay close to them. Yeah, and so I think it's one of those things where it's 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 both the defense, but also I think they are missing shots. Uh, those players that you mentioned that that they would make sometimes when they when they are able to get open when they are able to get free and they take shots, they're they're missing them at a higher percentage than they would with those types of shots too. So it's kind of a little bit of both, and that's really uh, hurting the Spurs' offense in the series. It's making it a lot easier for the Nuggets to defend them. Okay, let's go to look at some of the Spurs' um, specific players. So let's start off with Demar Derozan, who's our main playmaker. Uh, he scored 17 points in this game, 40% shooting, one assist, two turnovers. Uh, you had mentioned this matchup, how Torrey Craig's actually guarding him pretty well. He scored nine of his 17 against Torrey Craig. However, he shot just 29% against Craig, um, and he did get five of those free throws against Craig. So again, the Nuggets are going to take that. You know, Demar might get some points here, but at least they're not efficient points with with Craig guarding him, and at least they can kind of lock down um, White with uh, with Gary Harris. LaMarcus Aldridge also finishes it with 17 points, 54% shooting, um, zero assists, two turnovers. Uh, he only scored four points against Paul Millsap on 33% shooting. So that, that's significant because Millsap's the guy who guards them the most in the series. So he really struggled against Millsap. He, he really, I, I felt, you know, you look at the stats and the, the matchup stats, and he just really tears apart Mason Plumlee when he gets in there. That's where a lot of Mark LaMarcus' scoring is coming from in the series is against Plumlee. He had seven points last night against him. Derek White. Um, his stats are very misleading in this game. Uh, he scored 12 points, 46% shooting. However, all nine of those nine nine of those 12 came in the fourth quarter when it was pretty much you know at the 30 point game, and you know most of the Nugget starters you know were, were in and out. Uh, specifically against Gary Harris, he had zero points against Harris and Jamal Murray actually in this game. So one thing I want to talk about wide real quick. One of the stats from that matchups, those matchup data is that in 59 total possessions, Derek White has only scored two points against Gary Harris on 17% shooting with three assists, one turnover, and zero um, free throws. What, from from just your observation, what have you seen in games four and five of, of what Gary does that is making him such an effective defender and taking White out of this as an offensive player as far as his scoring and shot, and shot creation? Yeah, I think it was, you know, in game three, a lot of what he was doing is just getting to the hoop, and I think they're just trying to stay in front of him and keep him from doing that. And I think that uh, just altering the moves he likes to make. Um, so I think that... You know, again, another thing that was talked a lot after Game Three was was how much uh, Derek went right, and they just allowed him to. You know, and I think that's probably the number one thing that they keyed off on and tried to to stop there. But I think it's just been, in general, again, I think it's one of those things where if you look at what White gave the Spurs all season on offense, it's not like he should be expected to have these thirty point games. Yeah, that's all the true. Time. But that's I, true. I think that you know, uh, so I think it's it's less about. I mean, White has you know played worse even on defense since then. But I think that you know he he still has a good potential to have a strong game six and seven. I do think that that you know obviously Gary Harris has stepped up to the challenge, and and I think a lot of that is how well he's played the matchup. Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, just you know, you look at the numbers. I mean, I think you just think Gary Harris is a really good underrated defender that maybe a lot of people don't talk about. Just the fact that. 
you know, he, he's holding to White some of these low percentages. He also did that to DeRozan, where DeRozan's shooting percentages when Harris was the primary defender were, were really down as well. So um, I think just credit goes to Harris. And, and like what I've seen is just the, the lateral movement. He's so much faster than, than Murray. He's he's just more fundamentally sound in terms of not getting beat by, by um, different kind of missteps that Murray was getting beat by. Um and then um, also just the length. I mean, he's he's almost like you know wide size almost. So so there's just a, lot, a number of factors that contribute to to why uh, Derek's struggling whenever Murray's guarding him. And like you said, the expectation should have been that he has to score 20 points and you know get seven or ten assists. That's just not who he was. It's unfair to put that kind of responsibility on a second year player, even though he did have that breakout game. And I like what Coach Possman saying, basically calling it a great education because you know Pop basically saying that you know whether he plays poorly or great, you know this is a great learning opportunity for him in just year two. Um, let's talk about another guy um, who the Spurs normally rely on, but he's really, really struggled in the series overall, and that's Rudy Gay. He Again, he just another game where he really struggled. Six points, uh, 33% shooting, one assist only against, um, you know, the guy who's really guarding him, and he has to get some credit for this, is Paul Millsap. He's, he's been the primary matchup for Rudy Gay, um, and, and against Paul Millsap, these are Gay's stats right now. 2.8 points, 29% shooting, 0.8 assist, one turnover, and 0.2 free throw attempts. So what have you seen about this matchup, why Rudy just can't go in? The fact that he's got he's playing a, a bigger, bulkier player in Millsap, who you would think that Rudy could beat off the dribble, but he really can't. Um, yeah. what, what have you thought about the matchup? He's also playing against Torrey Craig a lot and also Mason Plumlee. So, so that, that trio of Millsap, Plumlee, and Craig, what have you thought why Rudy just can't get going in the series? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, you, you mentioned Millsap, and he was a player that you also mentioned giving Aldridge a lot of trouble mm-hmm. earlier. So I think Very like, true. this has been an amazing series from Paul Millsap. I think I had talked to you about who is the player that, after the series, Spurs fan, win or lose, that Spurs fans are going to dread. And I thought it was going to be Jamal Murray, and I think he's still a good candidate for this. But I think a lot of the, the Spurs fans who... who really watch. I think Paul Millsap, they're going to remember what he did to the Spurs in this series for a long time. Um, I can't I can't remember exactly who it was on Twitter. I thought it might be Bruno Passos from Pounding the Rock. But uh-huh. I think he had mentioned something about at halftime of Game 4 that Rudy was wrapped up or something. Yeah, or I, I think he said the end of Game 4 or yeah, half. Yeah, I don't something. remember when he so, said it, yeah. And obviously, you, everyone's hurt. I think he even mentioned that. Everyone is banged up in some way, and the players aren't going to make excuses for what's going on. But it wouldn't surprise me if you heard that, just because you figure that with his athleticism, they could uh, get defenders switched onto him that'd be a good matchup for him in this series. Um, and that just hasn't happened. So I think, you know, they've just come out with a good game plan for, like I said, they have been defending uh, DeRozan and Aldridge well, but I feel like part of their strategy has been like, we'll defend them well, but they'll get the points they get, and we're really going to cut off everyone else. And that's worked really well for them. Yeah, and, you know, um, they asked Coach Pop about this yesterday. The media asked him after the game, you know, is Rudy hurt? Is he 100%? Or they just said, is he okay? And, and Pop said, no, he's fine. So, again, you, we don't know exactly how much, you know, he really is hurt. Maybe, they're, maybe you know, after this, after this the playoffs, then maybe we get a story about, you know, something was wrong with him. Um, and, and it's just really, you know, I talked about this in the last episode was the fact that, like, I, I really feel like this is a, a series, though, where you do get judged a little bit harder than last year for if you're Rudy Gay because – you know, we kind of knew the, ex- the expectation of last year because of the outcome that was going to happen. You're playing the, the defending champs who were probably unbeatable, which were the Warriors. Kawhi was having his whole situation where he didn't show up for the play. You know, he was he was hurt or he was rehabbing, whatever. This, you know, we already I don't want to go through the drama again. But just the fact that we knew that wasn't a, a total Spurs team. You know, so so in a way, all those players last year it almost felt like they got a pass just because of the circumstances that they were they were dealt. 
Well, now, you know, this is a series that I mentioned where, where both teams are pretty balanced, you know, uh, even though Denver does look like the better team now as we've gone forward. But initially, they, these felt like balanced teams, and I really feel like that's a little bit where, where, where you know, I think the Spurs are going to weigh this the, his performance in these playoffs a little bit, um, you know, yeah, yeah. right now because this is supposed to be like a pretty even matchup. Yeah, well, and I think, uh, and this is this is kind of speculation, but I think that honestly, that Warrior series last year, and it's been a long time, so it's hard to remember. Rudy Gay played really well, and mm-hmm. I think Rudy Gay endeared himself to the Spurs, and the Spurs endeared himself to Rudy Gay in that series because they gave him a much longer leash than he had. Because I think of like what you said. Where it was like, okay, now we're playing the Warriors. You know, it's it's kind of this thing. We we thought maybe we'd get Kawhi back at Kawhi back at some point, and we never did. So we're gonna just let our two best offensive players go. Yeah. And I think that that created a trust between both parties, and really created because I honestly wasn't expecting Rudy to resign over yeah. the summer at first. And I think that a lot. So of, I, I was I was with you there. I, I didn't expect it either. And then I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that trust that both of them showed in each other in that series, it might sound small, but I feel like that went a long way in showing like, Hey, we are willing to like give you this leash on offense. And I think, so it's one of those things where I feel like he even, he did well last year and it's hard to remember because it was a five game series. It was so quick and, and it's the Warriors. But I, I it's one of those things where I kind of was, was thinking we might see a similar type thing where they were going to, have put him in situations where he's going to be really advantageous on offense. And I think, again, credit goes to Paul Millsap, and, and there could be some sort of something yeah. lingering underneath the surface. But I really think they've just, the Nuggets have really had a great defensive game plan on the Spurs this series. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he just had a rhythm. You know, you saw him take his first shot was a three-point attempt, pretty open. Um, it was like a pick-and-pop three, and, and he didn't go in. And so when you're a shooter, I mean, that you just got to have that confidence, that rhythm, and he just hasn't had it since game one, really. Um, so, so yeah, Rudy continues to struggle, and obviously we, we would both think that if for the Spurs to win this game six, he needs to have a pretty strong game. Um, I mean, uh, let's look at the, the three-point shooters. So, so Pretty surprisingly, the uh, the trio of Marco Bellinelli, um, Davis Bertans, and Patty Mills they actually got 12 threes off in this game. They actually were able, able to shoot 12 threes. I was surprised to see that number because usually there was about one or two for each player, but they only made three of them. So <laughs> they didn't make their threes. They they missed nine of them. Um, you know, you could just tell these guys are out of rhythm. Bellinelli had that wide wide open where we kind of hesitated and he shoots it. It's real short. You know, the, these the, it's just they haven't been getting the volume of threes that they're used to. They're, they're type of threes off screens, off those DeRozan, you know, kick uh, kick in and kick out type situations, off white penetration, off LaMarcus's um, post-ups. Just, just nothing for them is going right in terms of getting the ball where they normally receive it. So they just don't have a rhythm. And, and you know, and, and as I mentioned uh, last episode is that, you know, when, when you're facing a team who takes a lot of threes like Denver – um, it's tough when, when these are your only guys who do shoot threes and, and they're not letting them shoot or they're out of rhythm because then we know for sure DeMar's not taking threes. LaMarcus made one, you know, and he doesn't, we know he doesn't take them. You know, Rudy's not shooting well. Derek White's not a volume three-point shooter. Jakob Pertl's a non-factor there. So so what have you thought about that, the shooters? Yeah, <laughs> so this is not technically about the playoff series, but every time I think about that, I just go back to like, hey, the Spurs have the full non-taxpayer MLE this summer mm-hmm. to get one really good 3 and D wing or maybe a couple of like rotation level 3 and D wings and I think that's really what they're missing uh, right now and and of course that's like the hottest commodity in the NBA yeah. but I do think and we talked about this at the time uh, that Kawhi trade didn't happen at the beginning of July like it, it happened a week or so in after a lot of the free yeah. agency stuff had already happened and it kind of tied their hands because maybe they knew this was a good possibility but but when they're making a lot of their free agent decisions at the beginning of the uh, free agency they had no idea that DeRozan will be on DeRozan the team. DeRozan or Yaka yeah. will be on the team. So, and maybe even to some extent that Kawhi wouldn't be on. Because that, that was looking like it could have dragged on for a while. So I think 
you know, but that going back to this series, I think that uh, it, it is one of those things where I think in today's NBA, you can't have enough three-point shooters. The Spurs yeah. have kind of always zigged or zagged when the NBA zigged, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that people remember 2014 as this amazing, like, shooting season. And I it was brought up sometime at the end of the season where, like, this team shoots a higher frequency of three-pointers than that team even did. So that is, like, just a different NBA back then. Like, we look at it as, like, oh, man, they made all these threes, but that's never really who this person yeah. has been. And so I think while this is a negative in this series, the one thing is maybe this will be something where they do step back. Because for a long time we were saying that about small ball. Like the Spurs yeah. just would not play small ball like under any circumstance. And then they tried it out a little bit. And then this year they played it a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I'm thinking that that could be the one positive is as much as a lot of fans would think, no, they haven't done it for years. Like this could be the series where they realize, hey, we really do need to rely a lot more on three-point shooting outside of maybe our main couple guys. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, and, and the, the problem, I think the hard, the tough thing, which we're going to probably get into an, you know, an off-season podcast, you know, once the, once the playoffs officially end, but uh, is the fact that your two guys just aren't three-point shooters. We saw Damon Lillard, we saw Paul George, we saw all these guys. You know, you see it from the Nuggets, you see Jokic, you see Murray, all these guys, you know, take threes. And the, yeah. the two that the Spurs have in these playoffs left are the guys that don't shoot three. Well, outside of Giannis, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and, you know, like Ben Simmons. But outside of that, I mean, these are this is a rare thing to have your two go-to stars and none of these, they don't want to take any threes. Yeah. And, and I don't think you can just force DeMar or LaMarcus to start becoming more volume three-point shooters as as the summer comes on, you know, just saying, hey, that's what we need more. It's just not going to happen. So so we'll get to that uh, longer discussion about that as the offseason. Uh, when, when the offseason does approach so now Colin let's look at, let's look ahead to game six um so uh the Spurs are an early um favorite in this game by three points right now according to Las Vegas uh according to Jacob Goldstein some statistical model uh the Nuggets are now an 85 percent um, favorite to win the series overall the most likely outcome is your prediction which is there's a 48 percent chance now that Denver wins this in six on Thursday in San Antonio there is a 37% is the next option at with Denver winning in seven. And then there's about a 15% chance the Spurs do come back and win both games and, and, and win it in, in seven in Denver. Um, yeah, and then Vegas, of course, still has the Nuggets as the favorite. So so what do you think are some adjustments the Spurs need to make in, 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 on both sides of the ball as, as we head into game six on um, Thursday? Yeah, so I guess um, it's one of those things where you – gotta just keep playing I guess they've, they've been doing it less but maybe just keep playing Jokic straight up send less doubles yeah um, play Murray straight it's hard because when they're playing this well it really is hard to think of like even when you say that though they, they get they get your defense involved with all their dribble handoff action up yeah. top. I mean, it's just it's it's easy to say play them one on one, but it's yeah, yeah. actually when you actually watch like we you know when you see it, it's hard to do that just right. because of the fact that they're just constantly moving and cutting and yeah. that's tough. And, and again, Derek White is probably the Spurs' best defender. And this so this is not to say like oh look at how bad he was, but it's just to say look at how well the Nuggets' offense is flowing is when they get two back doors in a row against White. You know, I think. That's backdoor cuts seem to be this kind of weird point of emphasis for Pop. Even in that ESPN interview, he said, "Oh, do I have to teach the backdoor and watch these draft guys?" It seems like for whatever reason that always comes like that's a big thing to him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know when when your best defensive player is getting beat on something that they drill into them, it's it, that's just how well it's moving. It's really hard, I guess, on offense. Um, something I've been saying all all series long, and maybe this is just the eye, but it's not bared out in what's happening. Is it seems like. When Aldridge is shooting within the flow, and this was, I mean, last night he missed some easy bunnies, but 
when Aldridge is playing within the flow of the offense and the flow of plays, he's making shots, he's really doing stuff. And when he's posting up, he's been missing a lot of those shots yeah. this series. Um, so I, I, I almost feel like just playing him more within the flow of the offense, kind of just getting him these in-rhythm shots where it's part of a pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop. And, pick and, and he's been on the record saying that that's not really the style he likes to play. He does like going down low and posting up. But yeah. in terms of what's working... Uh, it's just, the it's what you mentioned. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the, the flow. You know the, right. the pick and roll time. And I've plays. you know I've been saying that. You know it, a lot of us have been saying that. So yeah. and that's the thing though is that like what you just said there. He does he likes to play back to basket basketball, and <laughs> that's not very effective basketball, especially when when your defense isn't very good. You can't afford to take turn around sixteen footers when on the other end you're going to go get scored on. And that's yeah. That's where I really think. See, and that, again, that goes back to the, you know we're going to have this in the off season discussion, but that goes back to mentality there. Yeah. You know when when when, it, when that's not your your best shot. Um, it's easier to shrink the floor for the defense. You know, if, if their rotations are really well, it doesn't matter if they double team you. Yeah, yeah. That see that 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 makes it interesting right there. So you're right though. I, I mean, they probably would have a better chance if if he does more pick and roll type pick and yeah, pop yeah. action. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult because you know it. You always want to allow the player to do what they're comfortable with. It's just, mm-hmm. and there have been games where like Alder just can't miss on that on that left block but for like, sure. Yeah. This series, it just has no. not been working. And, like, if they can just go to, to something else. Because if he gets going for, like, 20 or 30 points, uh, and you talked about the post-up, like, shrinking the floor, but even if he starts to get going, it really does open things for everyone else because now they maybe have to have someone, like, maybe not fully help, but, like, yeah, lunge at him and kind of, like, a, a half contest. And that makes the three-point guys open, and that's all he needs to get a pass over there because he he has hit those passes to the three point line before. So I think it's just a matter of like doing stuff to get him in rhythm, regardless of whether it's like the post up or not. Like just these pick and rolls and pick and pops that he's actually hitting decently or way better than the post ups at least in the series. I think that's the number one thing to me. Okay, so getting Aldridge going is what right. you're saying. Yeah, that's interesting. See, and I'm all for that, you know, but I just don't think they can get him going honestly because when you look at the numbers, I mean. Before before game five, he was shooting like in the low forties against each of those three defenders against Millsap, against um, Plumlee, and against uh, Jokic. He just really hasn't been. Able, I don't think he has he even gone over like twenty five. I don't think he has in any game of the series. I, don't, I can't pull the, the box scores up right now, but uh, maybe in, in one of them. Maybe I, one. Yeah. I think, so like I I I definitely agree. With you. I think it's just it's kind of like it is on defense. It's more of like resigned to if that's not the answer, I just don't know what is because like I yeah. said, DeRozan. I mean, maybe he could be shooting better, but like he he's playing aggressive he's trying to get to his spots you know they're running the three-point uh shooters off the line you know Derek obviously had this amazing game and now they switched it up to defend him well so it's one of those things where like something in the offense has to get going and it's 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 one of those things where I other than getting Aldridge going and hoping that that kind of frees up everyone else I'm honestly at this point not quite sure uh what the easiest option is (laughs) yeah so here, here I actually put up the numbers so so the most updated stats uh, against um, Jokic, he's only shooting forty-two percent, not going to get it done. And against Millsap, forty-one percent. And he does; he's actually shooting well against Plumlee, fifty percent from against Plumlee. But again, he doesn't play against Plumlee the most of the time. Majority of his minutes are coming against Jokic and, and Millsap. So I really just feel like, as much as we say it's better to get him going, I really feel like this is just a matchup that yeah. defensively they're going to just. These are really good defenders against it. even Jokic. He hasn't been, you know, he hasn't had great games against uh, Nikola. So, so that's your your thing. I, I still think, you know. It's tough because he, like just kind of what you said. I just don't know if they can do it. I really feel like you got to you got to get more from Derek White and Forcey. Even though it's it's like I said last time, it's not fair to him, a second year player, to ask him to give you over twenty points mm-hmm. and over ten assists. But I really feel like that's the way the Spurs can beat the Nuggets. Is you need 
him to go to another level because you're not going to get it from Patty Mills or Bellinelli or you know these other guys who just can't create on their own. He's the one who has that kind of potential, even though it's tough against um, Harris and their defense. And then also Rudy Gay, you know, I think the, the like I mentioned this last time, getting more involved in pick and roll where you can kind of get switches on those little guys and then maybe try to be a little bit more effective. But really, I don't know if he's hurt, like you mentioned, or I don't know what's going on because he really just can't beat anyone off the dribble right now. Um, he he usually likes to get that little corner three where he gets it and then the guy lunges at him and so he kind of takes him off the dribble and he finishes it like a dunk or makes a pass out. But that's just not happening. He's not beating those kind of defenders right now. Um, so so really, I mean, outside of Aldridge and DeRozan, I just don't see on this roster where you know they're going to get points from. I know obviously after game f- uh, four, everyone's talking about Lonnie Walker taking yeah, yeah. Bellinelli's minutes or so and so's minutes. But even last night, I watched Lonnie play, and he just you know it, it's not fair to put a rookie in there and expect him to to go off or, or do something. Yeah. You know. So, uh, you know. So um. You know. So so different. So I just feel like offensively they're really really stuck right now, especially if Denver continues to keep that game plan of taking away the shooters. I mean, you're really getting no points really from three outside of Brent Forbes, and when he's off, when he's off. Or they're not getting hit good shots. You're really getting nothing from three, like yep. we saw last night. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, and that's kind of another player I was thinking about earlier with Bryn Forbes. And and you know, again, we'll, we'll talk about this when it when it gets there. Uh, obviously, and this is not something that is new. People have talked about this before, but uh, Dejounte Murray is going to add so much to the starting lineup. But when you're taking a three point shootout, you talked about the two stars not shooting. Well, at that point, like you're. Top yeah. four starters. I mean, Derek White can hit the three, but like your top four starters aren't primarily three point shooters. And then at that point, so yeah, it's one of those things where Bryn has actually provided a lot of value in different ways because he has spaced the floor yeah. for this first unit. And I think that um, he has played a really good series, but they adjusted again and, and made it tough for him. And and like you said, when he's not getting his shots, then really the threes haven't been coming from anywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. So. I mean, like we said, right now, you know, right now, as, as we're talking about this game after game five, they really look stuck in offense, you know, yeah. outside of getting LaMarcus and, and Aldridge going. There's not a lot of options, honestly, when you look at this roster. Um, on defense, I, you know, I really feel like they just got to, again, just hopefully since they're at home, maybe they can they can play a good home defensive game in terms of rotations, in terms of not letting guys beat you off the dribble, um, you know, that dribble to penetration action, really communicating and not letting those, a lot of those backdoor cuts happen. But it's really tough because right now this Nuggets team is just flowing, I mean, offensively. And I know we talked about, you know, Pirtle guarding Jokic one-on-one. Well, when you look at the stats, Jokic is starting to score a little bit on his own, but also he's getting like four assists each time, even against Pirtle in that one-on-one scheme where, where you're keeping Jakob high on him so that way he's not, you know, k- kicking out and getting all these kind of different kind of passes and then of course any of the Denver players can just go off you know you have they have multiple shooters whereas the Spurs don't they do have several players who can easily have a 15 to 18 point night right yeah yeah, yeah I, I agree and I think it, it's definitely one of those things where uh like you, you mentioned just the Nuggets being in a flow and and we this series is kind of taking different turns obviously so you never know what could happen next I mean mm-hmm. that that Denver team that looks just in sync right now could could look like game one or game three again. So it's it's easy to, after one game to be like, oh, this is the way. But it, it's been this way for really at least three halves or, yeah. or uh, seven quarters. Seven quarters now, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and so it's it's just difficult when when that's kind of what you're facing up against to to really hope that that it'll change in a way that'll uh, be meaningful. But but like you talked about with the home defense. Uh, you have to, and this is what I was thinking about. You know, you you can't really. And Pop mentioned something like this. You can make adjustments, but especially with this team, you are who you are, right? The, so yeah, the story will still hurt on defense. Like you just have to play the defense you played all year and just hope it works. Yeah, because like 
this team struggled enough on defense, and they finally found different things that work for them. And if you try to switch it up, like they're just going to get destroyed. So you just have to play the defense you've played all season and just hope that it works enough that you can... Yeah, actually, the thing that I thought of that I almost forgot was... That, that was the real one, and this is kind of way off topic, but it was just the real... You talked about Jokic playing well. The real thing for me that was in in game five that I realized, oh, it wasn't even that far off of a game yet, but I knew like this is going to be trouble, was uh, they turned the ball over on like three or four possessions. I think most of those were Jokic, and they were still up by like seven after those yeah, possessions. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, okay, there's, if the Spurs are like going to play like this all game, it's going to be really hard for them to win this game. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, you know, I forgot. I had, I had something too I was going to say, and I just, I just completely forgot. But yeah, so... So so we'll see. Uh, this is what I was gonna say. Yeah, is this the, the? I forget just how how much the playoffs momentum just shifts for like up until like um, that 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 first quarter of Game Four where the Spurs were by like twelve. You just felt like San Antonio was gonna win this thing like in six, like easily. They were just or you maybe taking in five. And yeah. it's crazy how the momentum and just like your 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 feel of of who who's the better team. It's just all of a sudden Denver just feels like a juggernaut again. Yeah. You know. You know. And and that's kind of what they haven't felt like at all. Maybe since the regular season. And and, and right now, you know, just watching the, the Spurs get beat down by thirty. That's kind of where it feels like right now. So you, so you never know, though. You know, we yeah. have seen momentum shift in the series where it was all San Antonio in the beginning, and then slowly Denver started to take it, and now they've really taken it. So, so yeah, that's the one thing you can't rule out. Right. It, so, okay, this is something I, I've been talking to a couple of family members about, just kind of hypothetical chat. I don't know how much you put into this, but, you know, if you had a player like Manu, who's been like a proven leader for the Spurs for this whole time, even if he's not playing, he's just on the bench interacting with the players, uh, do you think they would have given up a 19-point lead and a 12-point lead? I know the 12-point lead was so early, but do you think having like that type of leader on the floor help at all? I mean, obviously they blew leads when they were in the Big Three era. Yeah. But yeah. do you think like in not questioning the leadership of any one person, but just you know, Manu and Tim were definitely like a different brand. Do you think like that's where they're missing? Someone like Manu? They they could be missing that. I mean, obviously we can't ever tell because there's no way to quantify this. Right. But I mean, really, you, you mentioned you know, you're not t- calling anybody out, but like the only leader we know about and it's been public is just Patty Mills. I mean, that's where we're at. Is that your your, your backup point guard is the guy who's like your your your, your guy that's going to kind of more bring the morale, the guy who's going to kind of keep you guys going. And, and as I've observed all year from from the from their main guys, you know, Rudy, Lamarcus, um, DeRozan, they like to, they're not like Tim, Tony, and Manu where they sit next to the coach. And they kind of just, you know, they're always kind of, you know, embracing the teammates and stuff like that. I mean, they, they do embrace their teammates. I'm not trying to call them bad teammates. But they're just, that, that leadership part is not there where they like to sit at the corner of the end of the bench. I don't know if you've ever seen this when you go to the home games. They always sit at the corner of the bench and they kind of just, you know, stay away when they take the little breaks. They're kind of just sitting there. Uh, and so it's hard, you know, you don't have those guys that are constantly yelling. And Patty's the one who's constantly doing that. He's always fired up on the bench. He's kind of yelling, kind of always giving people, you know, you know, praising them, kind of giving them some little critiques here and there probably um, is what he's doing. And so maybe that, that that is what they're missing. You know, you, you just know you just go back to those old Spurs memories of timeout gets called by Pop, and Pop is talking with the coaches, and there you see Tony Parker pull up a chair, or you see Mon, or you see Tim, and, and, and they're getting into guys and telling them, you know, what what to, what to work at. And so you know, obviously like we said there's it's it's a what if kind of question, but right. you know, maybe maybe that's something to look at is, is maybe the fact that they are missing that that their three guys are not you know players that that you know that that. That just look like the type of guys who are going to to be those kind of leaders who are going to be more vocal and really embrace you. I mean, not not embrace you, but you know, really really challenge you right. and you know get into you like how we've seen Tim and Tony and Monty do in the past. And, you know, it's not fair though because I mean those are three Hall of Fame guys, yeah, so yeah. it's not it's not really fair either to put that expectation on guys like Rudy Gay or, or Demar or Lamarcus. Yeah, it's like the Derek White thing where you can't expect him to score twenty points. And I think uh, 
was I can't remember if it was the Athletic or the Express News that wrote an article about like the camaraderie between those three players. And I wouldn't be surprised if that really helped keep the Spurs floating. Uh, Rudy and uh, Demar and Aldridge, kind of their friendship together and their camaraderie. Yeah, because they. Here. They, they do seem very close, those yeah. three. I, I feel like their chemistry is really what helped to propel the Spurs to where they are now. And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's just those generational leaders. Like, And it is so hard to quantify, but just from everything we've heard, and we heard it so much being at the the uh, Ginobili retirement ceremony, there's something about like the Tim-type person, the Manu-type person, even Tony, but those two really stick out as Hall of Famers for their talent, but also kind of their leadership. And it's hard for us, since we do a lot of the stat stuff, to like quantify like how much that counts on the court. But it's just having those like once in a generational type leaders. I feel like is is so undervalued. Yeah, no, no, for sure. That, that and that's something you know. To, to obviously, you know, it's it's good to discuss just because you know the fact that we can't quantify it, so we can't yeah. say if it's yes or no type of answer. But um, you know, we'll see what happens. Like I mentioned, you know, as, as much as right now it does feel like Denver's going to finish this thing off, your prediction's going to be right. <laughs> uh, I, I I do have like that kind of feeling that it's going to be over. I think that like the Spurs will play hard for for like a quarter or two and then Denver would just kind of take the take the hits take the punches but eventually they're going to start you know there's their there for me it comes down to the math honestly like I, I, this is something Mike Finger brought pointed out back at game four was just the fact that you know when you have one offense that's built around all these you know threes I mean for me that's just where the gap is it's just Denver's plus 18 right now from the three-point line and 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 you just can't ask the Spurs to, to give you that you know especially when they're their two guys are not built that way with with the, the, the three-point shooting so so that's kind of where, where, where i see the difference in the series is coming to is, is the fact that sure they can both be bad defenses be good defenses at times but it's just the fact that that the three-point shooting is just not there for one team and, and one team it is um so so you know we'll see what happens in game six um so so game six six tips off on thursday at uh seven o'clock central time um and again we'll be in san antonio so if the spurs um win they they do go to game seven which will be played on saturday back in denver they lose well then that's over and then we'll figure out you know what, what, how to start heading forward uh, at project spurs toward the the offseason plan so thank you colin for joining me for this episode spurs cast episode 541 uh spurs cast listeners if you're on twitter please follow colin at colin reed ps and also shout out to michael de leon for producing and mixing this episode for colin reed i am paul garcia thank you have a great day credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.